0: Welcome everybody, this is Chandra Dasa from the Buddhist Centre Online team with you again for the Daily Toolkit podcast helping our community through the coronavirus strangeness that has descended just about everywhere Somebody said in yesterday's podcast that a quarter of the world's population is now officially on lockdown which I guess is somewhere between one and a half billion and two billion people I have to say my first thought was What are the other 75% (laughs) doing? Nonetheless, that's an awful lot of people in the same boat as you. Hopefully, being able to check in with your community every day is given some sense of normality. Uh, We've had a whole slew of great guests and great hosts, and today is no different. And I'll start by introducing my co-host for this episode, Dasani, up in Glasgow in Scotland. Hello,
1: Chandra Dasa. It's lovely to join you again for another podcast conversation.
0: Today's guest is someone I'm very happy to see again after quite a long time of not really being in the same circles in Trurathna, but we used to coincide quite a lot. A very good early supporter of the Buddhist Centre Online, someone who helped in a way set up the conditions for the whole thing. In 2011 the first event that the Buddhist Centre Online ever did, way before there was a website, was an urban retreat and it featured a book by Vajra Gupta called Sailing the Worldly Winds. As you may know, if you're following us online, we're about to start a series of home retreats for people stuck in the house and wondering what to do with themselves and with either extra time or looking for a bit of structure in the midst of a busy week with the kids or with work. And we thought it'd be really great to go back to that very first retreat for some material, to revisit it a good nine years later. And of course, who better to bring us into that space than the author himself, the inimitable and delightful Vajragupta.
2: Hello, Chandra Dasa. Hello, Darsini. Very good to be with you today and great to see you both again. Yeah, so very happy to be here.
0: And where are you, Vajragupta? Where is here? So I'm down in Devon,
2: in the southwest of England. So at the moment, I'm the chair of Croydon Buddhist Centre in South London. I only started that a couple of months ago, actually. But my mum lives down in the southwest. And yeah, when this whole thing kicked off, I kind of realised I needed to come down here to look after her because she's 88 and, you know, quite elderly and needs quite a bit of care. So
0: yeah, here I am looking after her. Windswept lovely Devon seems a good place to talk about the worldly winds, the sea nearby and the the high cliffs. So if you haven't heard about the worldly winds before, it's a Buddhist teaching. And essentially, it's four pairs of elements, which I'll let Vajra Gupta tell you about in a second. But the point is that they can blow you around. And if, like me or anybody else who's visited us in the last couple of weeks on the podcast, you've been blown around at all by the coronavirus, by the governmental responses to it, depending on where you live. You probably know a bit already about what it feels like to feel that you're buffeted by the winds of reality. So we're going to try and help you locate yourself in there. Vajragupta is a great guide. Maybe actually, Vajragupta, we could start just by talking about the origins of the book. Like why 10 years ago did you decide to focus on the worldly winds as the subject of a book? Well, it was mainly because I I found them such a helpful teaching. I'd recently been the
2: chair of the Birmingham Buddhist Centre, and I was, you know, chair fairly young in age. So it was a big challenge for me. I mean, I really loved it, but it was, you know, it was a challenging responsibility to have and it had its ups and downs and its, you know, great things and its challenges. And back in those days, we used to have these little gatherings of different chairs of different projects. And on one of them, we met. And Diane Andy, who was then the chair of Tara Loka Retreat Centre, gave a little talk about the worldly winds, you know, just in order to help us as chairs with our practice and what we were working with. And I'd never actually heard the teaching before. And I, I really found it helpful what she said. I mean, it was one of those talks where the person is speaking and you say, oh, yeah, I do that. Oh, yeah, I can see that I do that. Oh, yeah, I recognize that. You know, it just sort of spoke directly to me. And I found it very, very helpful. So from then on, I often taught the worldly winds. I used them a lot in my own practice. And, you know, when I taught them, again, I could see people very, very quickly recognize them in their own experience and resonated with them. So it sort of became, you know, one of the main tools in my toolkit, as it were. So then years later, when I was writing books, it was an obvious thing to write about because it's just so practical but also so profound. And I was surprised. Hardly anyone's written anything about it. Yeah. So it's mentioned in one of Vasantra's books. He kind of devotes a bit of space to it. Pema Chodron mentions them here and there, but just in passing, really. I was amazed that no one had written a book about them. It's such a good teaching. So it was a kind of obvious choice in a way.
0: So should we give people a little primer about what the teaching itself is? So let's see if we can remember the worldly winds between us. You lead What's your favourite of the worldly wins? Well, there's praise and blame. Praise and blame. Dastany, what's your favourite?
1: I think it's loss and gain. Definitely. At the start of my conversation with Chandradasa today, before Vadragupta arrived, he asked me how I was doing, and I said, I'm marvellous and I'm a disaster. So yeah, loss and gain are my oscillating favourite.
0: Marvellous and a disaster all at the same time. I think I've always quite liked fame and infamy, partly because of the old joke. Infamy, infamy, they've all got it. Infamy. <laughs> Just to bring it down a level. And there's one more pairing. Vajra Gupta tells the last pairing.
2: So that's pleasure and pain, in a way, the kind of basic fundamental one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Pleasure and pain, gain and loss, fame and infamy, and praise and blame. It is quite surprising people haven't written more about that. I suppose maybe they have implicitly, but, you know, as you say, just it's such a concise, pithy way to encapsulate all the dynamics that we're subject to. So when you got into the book itself as a project, did you find it quite easy to structure your own thinking around it or was it a bit of a kind of journey where it sort of emerged as you went?
2: Well, in a way, I taught it a lot at the Birmingham Buddhist Centre, so quite a lot of it was at my fingertips. And the challenge of writing the book actually was... So I went away into the countryside to stay somewhere to write the book. And about three days later, my father collapsed at home and it turned out he was ill. It turned out he had stomach cancer. So I had to actually leave that little retreat that I was on and come down to my parents' house. And I basically stayed here for quite a few weeks while he was ill in hospital. But then there was this big event coming up and Windhorse wanted to publish the book so I was, you know, I was just sort of very torn. And first of all, I thought I can't possibly write a book in these circumstances. But actually, I did manage to write it. And, you know, in a way, what was going on in my life just added a whole other layer, a whole other kind of meaning to what I was writing about. So, yeah, it is, you know, for me as a writer, it's a very particular book because I wrote it in very particular circumstances in my life. You know, it was a very difficult, very painful time, but it was also a very beautiful, tender Special time. There was a lot of love and care, and a lot of communication, and so on. Yeah. So again, yeah, that that kind of oscillation, that real, you know, how our experience is often very, very kind of mixed, and it can be, it can be very joyful, and it can be very painful, almost at the same time. All that was going on while I was writing the book.
0: Destiny, I remember you took part in that retreat away back in two thousand and eleven. Has the material been meaningful for you generally?
1: Oh yes, it has. Yes, it has been really helpful, and i since that retreat, I've also been through Vajra Gupta's book on a couple of occasions because I've been asked to give a talk on maybe one of the pairs or to give an overview of the teaching. But also, I just really recognize those dynamics in myself. I think quite often I'll find myself in the middle of doing something, either an ordinary activity or something that's maybe got higher stakes in it. And it's not, I get into the middle of a project and it's nothing like I imagined it to be. And I just can sense then my potential unsteadiness or my ability to put down roots and release something which is a bit more akin to equanimity or something. I don't know if that sounds familiar. I definitely know that I'm being blown around by the worldly winds. And I definitely know when I'm a bit more like, like I'm doing the Tai Chi moves that help me flow around the conditions that I find myself in. I've got an example, actually. I think possibly one of my strongest experiences of things not going the way I had planned was some years ago, I was on a pilgrimage in India with a large group of people. And we were on a pilgrimage to the sites that were significant in the Buddha's life. And the pilgrimage had been a year in the planning. And we were going to be there for a month. And seven days into the pilgrimage, my very close friend Padmulka had a serious accident and she broke her back. And this incredible thing happened, which was that I stayed on pilgrimage in India, but I went on a different pilgrimage. I went on the pilgrimage of helping Padmulka, well, first of all, find out what on earth was happening to her and then get the medical care and attention she needed and then come back home safely and i did that alongside the women who had organized the pilgrimage so the three of us we went to india thinking that we were going on one adventure and 7 days later we were in a completely different landscape so it reminds me a wee bit Gupta about the conditions under which she started to write the book anything can happen to anyone at any time and well can we be appropriate and pliable and kindly in those times. And for me, the answer is yes and no. It's
2: a good story. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I kind of recognize what you're saying about being able to be flexible and pliable and this is a new reality, this is a new situation. How am I going to respond to this? That's that's just what you've got to do, isn't it? Yeah. And I guess sometimes just being able to name what's going on is really helpful. So I think often for people that's what is helpful about the teaching of the worldly winds that on a very simple level, They can recognize what's going on and say, oh, yeah, this is the worldly winds or this is praise and blame or this is gain and loss. And somehow giving it a name, you kind of know what's going on a bit more. And then that kind of gives you a perspective on it, which can help you to then move forward from it in a creative kind of way. Of all the books I've written, you know, I don't get a lot of people writing to me as an author about my books. But you get a few emails and letters, which is always really lovely. And that is the one where often people write saying it really helped me in a difficult time in my life. You know, my father was dying or I'd lost my job or something like that. And I turned to that book and it was very, very useful. Yeah. It is that kind of teaching, that kind of turn to in a moment of crisis teaching.
0: One of the things that's come up whenever I've done stuff at Buddhist centres around the world, is some people curiously react with that kind of sense of, well, it's obvious, isn't it? Everybody knows that. It's like really obvious. You just tell me stuff I already know. Praise and blame. Loss and gain. My sense of that questioning is to do with their sense of being paralysed by all that is they don't know what to do. Like they know it's the case that there is loss and gain, but they don't know what to do. And then there's something about, well, how can you communicate to people? It's not actually about you doing something necessarily. There's there's another way to orient yourself. In relationship to the bigger picture. What do you say to people? with So if you were drawing out the main thing that people can quote unquote do, what would it be?
2: Yeah, well, that is exactly what happens. The worldly winds blow us around and we can go passive or we sort of lose the initiative or we feel, you know, life's just kind of getting at us. We lose confidence and so on. So I think the teaching is, is very much learning how not to be able to do that, but to respond Creatively to the new reality in the way that Dastany was describing in India. And I think the first thing is, yeah, just recognizing what's going on. And then, you know, realizing that we can't always control situations, but we've always got an influence over what happens. So we've always got a choice about how we respond. And then trying to find a more ethical, helpful response. So in the book, I talk about that in terms of Dharma doors, I call them. So, you know, the worldly winds are opposites, gain and loss. And we can be blown from one to the other. So I talk in terms of we're just not playing that game, just trying to play a different game. So rather than gain and loss, can we respond with generosity? Rather than praise or blame, can we respond with truthfulness and so on? It's like, you know, when things are difficult and challenging, we, we can either kind of shrink in and try and deny what's going on or try and sort of fight what's going on or try and sort of hold on and pretend it's not happening, or we can just sort of give ourselves to that new reality and sort of flow with it the Tai Chi metaphor, how can we find the best response to that? We can either sort of tighten in or we can try and move out and just sort of try and give ourselves to life, try and give ourselves to what's going on and in the best way possible. Of course, I'm not saying that's easy, but that's the challenge, isn't it, to try and just keep serving life, as it were, keep giving ourselves to life yeah, generously as we can, lovingly as we can.
1: I was struck by something that somebody said to me the other day, Vadragupta, again with the gain and loss, well, and pleasure and pain as well, those two pairings. I am one of the people who is going to be going to one of our ordination retreat centres later this year. So there was a large group of men and a large group of women who had been invited to ordination courses in retreat centres in Spain. for the people who were going to go on those retreats and have their ordination retreat and enter the order, these were currents in their lives that have been important to them for years, and some of these people, decades. And obviously, that's not happening now. Um, we don't really know what is happening. And the thing that somebody said to me that I found really quite beautiful and simple was: she said, "This was my friend Christine, who is one of these ordinands." She said, "I." The plan is there's no plan. And I laughed and I loved it because she said it in this moment of real surrender. And yeah, the plan is there's no plan. And it was like she threw it out like bubbles, you know, like a child playing in the garden with bubbles. And I just thought, God, that's quite profound. And I think I recognize that sometimes I can have those moments of just release from my expectations and from my grasping and the tyranny of the planning mind. There's something so beautiful in that, which I find quite sustaining then when I get back into a more dualistic frame of thinking about whether or not something is or isn't going my way and that I get back into the battle of wills with reality. Somehow me against the world and, well, I always lose that fight.
2: I really like that. The plan is there's no plan. Yeah. In a way, the worldly winds teaching, it's a lot about control, isn't it? It's teaching us that, you know, obviously we want to control things as much as we can and have a good influence on things. But in a way, it's teaching us that life can't be completely controlled. The world can't be completely controlled. And it's like, how do we respond when things aren't going our way and when we can't control what's going on? In a way, it's that uncontrollable nature of life which makes love possible. So when things are going well, that's all fine, but it doesn't necessarily draw much out of us or doesn't necessarily demand much of us, particularly ethically. Whereas when things aren't going well, where we can't sort of keep control of the circumstances of our life, that demands more of us. And particularly it demands that response of love or generosity towards life. So I heard a lovely story the other day. It's a friend of mine. At a certain age in his life, he realised he was gay. And a year or so after that, he realized he wanted to tell his parents, he wanted to come out to his parents. This was some years ago, you know, when attitudes maybe were different to what they were today. So he was anticipating that they might be angry, they might be dismissive, they might be insulting and and so on. He was anticipating maybe quite a difficult response. But he went to tell them and uh, he decided before he went that however they responded, he was going to carry on loving them. However they responded, he was going to stay in communication with them. So in a way, that's real love, isn't it? It was like it was unconditional. He was going into this situation where he couldn't predict what was going to happen, but whatever happened, he was going to try and respond with love and wanting to stay connected to them. It's only when things are kind of outside our control that then our love becomes conditional, as it were. When we're getting what we want, it's sort of relatively easy when it's unpredictable in a way that kind of draws real love out of us yeah I've been thinking that a bit with my mum as well you know I'm of an age and a lot of my friends are of an age where we're looking after elderly parents and they say you know you don't choose your parents and nobody chooses how they get old and what happens to them and how it affects them physically and mentally as it were but It's that kind of unknowingness and uncontrollableness and unpredictableness of life, which then you just have to respond to, which again kind of draws out love, hopefully, draws out generosity, draws out just kind of giving yourself to that, yeah.
0: I suppose one of the things that's gone on for a lot of people just now is the kind of wildness of life as apparent, isn't it? It's like the unpredictable nature is just writ large every day across every headline on every news report. And for a lot of people, that's frightening, right? The experience, the loss of control or even the loss of the possibility of control is terrifying. And, you know, life's got its usual million demands, etc. It strikes me one of the usefulnesses of revisiting your book, Vajragupta, in a new retreat that people can do at home is precisely just to lay out for people that it is a kind of everyday down-to-earth practice. You're not always going to produce love in response to the unpredictable nature of reality, but you can be a little bit more aware and a little bit more kind every day and that will ripple out through your conditions and it will also change the way you set yourself up a bit like your friend just setting himself up well for a difficult conversation and standing on that rather than the result you're going to very kindly do a question and answer session for us on sunday Live on the web around this home retreat. Has your thinking around the worldly winds changed much in the last 10 years? I mean, I'm guessing the fundamentals are kind of the fundamentals, right? But recently you gave a talk called Buddhism and Inequality.
2: That's an interesting question. So, yeah, I did recently give a talk called Buddhism and Inequality. That was me just having a sort of first go at trying to, yeah, really look at what does Buddhism have to offer the world, you know, because pre coronavirus. The world still feels very stormy and polarised and, you know, there's a lot in the last 10 years. And, yeah, as a Buddhist, I've been trying to sort of understand that and think about that and and really work out. Does Buddhism speak to that? Does Buddhism have anything to offer in that kind of turbulent, polarised, populist kind of world? You know, nationalism on the rise, growing inequality and so on. So, yeah, I gave this talk called Buddhism and Inequality. It was based on a book called The Spirit Level. Which was published about 10 years ago, which is all about how inequality has grown massively in our society and in most wealthy societies in the world in the last 20 to 30 years or so. I won't go into all that now, that would take too much time. But then I brought in the worldly winds and I I made the point that the worldly winds, in a way, they're an individual teaching. So they're about recognizing when the worldly winds are blowing around in your life and how can you respond to that in a human, helpful kind of way. But I also talked about the worldly winds as a kind of social teaching. Certain kinds of society, the worldly winds, blow around more strongly. And you know, the argument in the context of that talk was in a, in a society with more inequality, people become more concerned about status. They're more anxious about where they are in the pecking order, as it were. You know there's a lot of evidence to actually show this, how more unequal societies There is more anxiety and more stress, which is to do with status and position and so on. So in a way, yeah, more unequal society, the worldly winds of praise and blame, fame and infamy and gain and loss and so on. I mean, they're always there in any society. They are just part of life. But I think they kind of blow in particular ways, with particular kind of strength, according to the kind of society that we live in. So, yeah, in in that talk, I was trying to bring in that perspective, that, that the worldly winds is a teaching for us as individuals. But it's also a teaching about what goes on in society, the kind of social, cultural forces which are blowing us around as well. And how how do we respond to that as Buddhists? One reason I love the teaching is it kind of connects ethics to wisdom. It shows how ethics is sort of acting wisely and wisdom is seeing ethically, as it were. Yeah. So I like that kind of connection, you know, just trying to sort of respond well to situations as best we can. It makes the connection between that and wisdom. The reason we need to do that is because life is changing. The worldly winds are also the winds of change blowing around.
1: Something that I found myself thinking about the other day, and I think it just arose in uh, morning meditation practice, was the way in which Joanna Macy has really encouraged people in times of extreme or in times of dissatisfaction, times of change, particularly for her motivated by climate change, turning towards a knowledge of that which we have been given, which in the Buddhist tradition is the practice of gratitude, katanyuta. So with gratitude, it's like the opposite of taking things for granted and thinking that you are heir to good stuff, heir to your life, heir to a fortune. It's like In a moment of stress and pain, just trying to sort of stay still and allow the experience to deepen, allow your awareness to, rather than contract out of fear and contact with what's unpleasant, allowing your awareness to just wait and sense out greater nuance. And then through that, we just become aware of the gifts in a way, the richness that's got us from A to B all the way through our lives. And just that simple pausing and waiting, allowing our senses to expand. That's the practice of gratitude, which helps us move out of a sense of stress. The stress that we can shuttle forwards and backwards in with the pairs and the worldly winds into more expansiveness. That love that you're talking about, Bhattra that more unconditioned response.
2: So it's like thinking of gratitude helps expand your perspective. So you're not just sort of small and subjective, expands your perspective. But what I like about what you're saying is that doesn't mean leaving your experience behind. You're very much in your experience, but you're just not completely identified with that. There's also a bit of space and awareness around that experience. That's what I'm kind of hearing from what you're saying.
1: I think that's right. And I think also just... Entering into a bit of fearlessness that, yes, my experience is really unpleasant, but actually having a deeper understanding of conditionality, really. The conditions that have given rise to what's unpleasant and the myriad conditions that continue to create the opportunities that we have the endowments, the privileges and and the health and well-being that we have, even if that's quite limited at times.
2: Yeah, bringing conditionality and impermanence to mind can also be helpful, can't it? It reminds you that this isn't personal, this isn't about me, this is just life. And again, that can just help you have that slightly bigger perspective without denying the pain, the difficulty and the challenge of it, yeah.
0: We'll share that talk, I think, as a kind of bit of an update, along with the course materials for the Worldly Winds Home Retreat that begins on Friday, the 3rd of April. As I said, we're going to have Vajgupta available online on Sunday, for a question and answers. So if you've got something burning you'd like to ask him that we didn't get to today, you'll have your chance, and we'll advertise that on the community toolkit space on the Buddha Centre online. If you go to the slash toolkit you'll be able to connect with us there either via newsletter or the blog, etc., and get informed when that's ready to go. One thing that occurs to me is the sort of down to earth nature of how we're going to run this retreat that will be making practical suggestions every day using a set of reflections that VajraGrypta wrote, especially for the online version of this the last time we did it, which hold up marvellously well, of course. And in a world that in a way is a bit changed, isn't it, from 10 years ago. In some senses, the winds blow the same as they always did. In some senses, it looks a little bit different on the surface, at least. We'll be taking you through that material. There'll be lots of practical things to do. Retreat diaries, the chance to buddy up with friends, and some really great reflections from other people too, from Vidyamala, from Rantavua, various other folk. One question just to end with, Patrick Gupta, would be, if you could pick only one pair of the worldly wins that you could remove from people's experience, which would it be? So I remove it and that one just doesn't operate anymore. In a way, it's a bit like the opposite of what's your favourite one. It's like, what's the one that, that gives you most trouble? What's the one that's most sharp? It's still alive in your kind of day-to-day thing.
2: The trouble is, if you remove blame, then you have to get rid of praise as well. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. That doesn't quite work.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this sneaky question reminds me of a question that I used to ask when I was doing an introduction to Buddhism. In an introduction, I used the structure of the three jewels, and within that, you can spend three weeks talking about the threefold path, etc., And at the end of the course, I used to say to people, okay, Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, but you can only have one. What do you want? And the reason I used to ask that question was because I just watched the room and after like three minutes, they would all realize that they are inextricable and that you can't have one. You've got to have everything. (laughs) But I think praise and blame because I think the attitude in me to look for the culprit is very strong and the darts the kind of wounds the barbs of feeling blame are you know I've got hundreds of scars around that and I've still some of them I've still got to pick out the thorn yeah praise well you know it's like perhaps if we took away the praise as well neither of them would be necessary because we would just be in touch with a greater sense of richness I'm an optimist.
0: What else am I going to say? Good answer. It's a good answer. Actually, the thing that made me think of that question was, there's a show that just finished, I think it's on the UK2, called Picard, which is the newest Star Trek show. And it's the lead character from Star Trek The Next Generation, which was this optimistic 1990s TV show that for a whole generation of people carried that kind of spirit that sci-fi often does of like, there's a better future, human beings are going to kind of figure it out when they've got a bigger canvas of the whole universe behind them the perspective will have an effect and in this new star trek show you know the same things apply that apply through the rest of star trek where there's no money anymore people don't go hungry there's no sense of even status in a way so i was thinking about gain and loss and just thinking well would a society be better if you removed all of that stuff and also i've got a sort of poetic relationship to the beauty that's tied up in loss so the idea of losing gain and loss is attractive in the sort of material sense but the kind of soul sense or the soul level it seems like again of course how could you possibly live as a being without gain and loss maybe it was sparked by your talk fadra group to just the sense of there's greater and greater inequality and there is a sort of heart yearning for some way to do things collectively where we remove strains of human behavior that just have a bad effect
1: There's something about samsara in this, isn't there? There's something about samsara. It's endless. And I think that I can fall into a wrong view of improvement, continual improvement and evolution. You know, like, really? Really? (laughs) It's attractive and deluded at the same time, I reckon.
0: So we'll look at the worldly winds altogether next week. There's lots of different ways you can connect with this. We've been quite aware in thinking about the home retreats and in choosing this material that for many people, there's an unequal experience of being stuck at home. For a lot of people, there's much more time than there was. And if you are in that camp, there'll be a full week of really great material for you to engage with just to spend a bit more time on your practice. Maybe watch a couple less news broadcasts, a couple less box sets, and in a way, put something that's going to enrich you into into your mind, into your heart. If you're one of the many people who is struggling to keep up with kids and having to work from home at the same time and all the rest of it, then what we'd like to offer is just some light ways to carry some reflections, a bit of structure with you through the week. Just some touchstones really that will hopefully resonate with your day as you've kind of been blown around by the new demands of the time. You can join us every morning for meditation. There's a couple of meditations a day. Really recommend it. Uh, You've probably heard me say this a few times now, but You show up first thing in the morning, 150 people appear on your computer screen. They're all smiling. They close their eyes and nothing happens for 40 minutes, (laughs) except something really fantastic does happen and you can feel it. And if, uh, like all of us, you've probably been in too many Zoom meetings, this is a good antidote. Uh, So you can come and meditate with us. We'll be continuing with our podcast through the week to give you just a line into community and to the stories and voices of people all around our international community. And of course, we'll have the community toolkit space where we'll be blogging to support the retreat all week long, just trying to point out the best of what's available, support you with your reflections and with the various teachings that we're backing the retreat up with. And the last thing I want to mention before we say goodbye to our guests is that Vajra Gupta's book, Sailing the Worldly Winds, was originally published by Wintors Publications. And Wintors are doing a fantastic thing, which is they're giving away the ebook of this for free to coincide with the home retreat. So if you go to Wintorspublications.com right now, you can download a free copy of Vajra Gupta's book. We'll put the book in with the course materials on our new web space for the retreat itself. I'd really encourage you to take advantage of this amazing piece of generosity. Like so many things in this particular time, people are stepping up with acts of real creative generosity, and this is one of them. So if you've been intrigued by what Vajragupta and Dasani have said today about the worldly winds themselves, this is a chance for you to dive right in. So thanks very much, Dasani, for helping coordinate the conversation
1: oh thank you Chandra Dasa it was a real pleasure to see you both and talk with you both and hope we do it again soon
0: and thanks of course to Vajra Gupta who's I would say much missed Vajra Gupta's been off doing all sorts of interesting things maybe we'll have him back to talk about that rather than the specifics of this but yeah it's lovely to see your face again and lovely to hear your voice again and thanks for allowing us to use this material again in an online course to help people find their feet over the next few weeks
2: well, thanks for asking me here today. Very nice to talk to you both. And I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but happy birthday for tomorrow, Chandra Dassa.
1: Oh, nice. Have a lovely day. Oh, well done. He's been he's working so come.
2: hard responding yeah. to all this and getting Dharma out there. And
1: Chandra has been he's... working a 35-hour day.
2: Yeah, blimey. <laughs> thank you. So, yeah, have a rest tomorrow and a lovely day and a lovely birthday.
0: Thank you very much it's true it's my birthday tomorrow and uh, we've got a special pre-recorded episode that's going to go out so that i can't <laughs> have <the> day off <laughs> so tomorrow's conversation will be with parma bandhu about his work as a clinical psychiatrist in london fantastic stuff as well but for now thank you very much to Vajragupta, thanks to Dastiny. and as ever we like to finish this podcast just by reminding you that people all over the world are not only going through what you're going through in some other form but they're also bearing you in mind that you're part of something bigger than just the four walls and yeah whether you can come and join us for meditation or for the retreat or not we're holding you in our awareness and so are many others so be well stay safe and we'll see you again soon